Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. And I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Jason Staples and Greg Barnes. And Greg, I'll go to you first. Clearly, many things on the University of North Carolina's plate as we record this podcast, plenty on your plate. But North Carolina hosts Virginia in a football game that will be played on Saturday at 3.30 in Keenan Stadium. Football. Foot, football. <laughs> what, I mean, with late night with Roy tomorrow, the NCAA stuff tomorrow, this football game, while not insignificant, just doesn't seem very significant in the grand scheme for the University of North Carolina athletic program. Uh, your take on that. Yeah, I think the fact that the team is is one in six or one in five at this point in time uh, speaks to that. And typically, if you're, you're five and one, then maybe this is something that the fan base can rally around along with late night. Uh, but the fact that this is you know, Virginia is a team that I think all of us and most people thought it was probably going to be a win for North Carolina before the season started. And then you get to game week, and Virginia opens as a three-and-a-half-point favorite, and that's up to four now. That, that kind of speaks volumes about kind of where North Carolina is right now. The injury report continues to be a, uh, a laughing matter. North Carolina will be without 18 players uh, against the Cavaliers. They will be without nine players who have started games this year. And when you combine that with you know, some, some questionable coaching decisions with some poor execution, uh, with some very uh, ugly stats. Uh, the interest level is not there. And as you, as you mentioned, there's, there's other things, both exciting in the form of late night and treacherous, I guess you would say, with regard to the NCAA that, that has people's attention. Jason, when the punter shows up on the injury report, it's pretty ridiculous. We talked a little bit about it before we started recording. I mean, like you've mentioned before, if you're the best player on the team, look out. Yeah, I mean, I'd actually been cracking wise about this for a little while. I think I may need to stop because MJ Stewart may be in danger pretty soon. You know, these it, it seemed like whoever's playing the best for Carolina, they've got a, a bullseye on their chest. It's been unreal watching guys go down this year just one after another where you know the replacement goes down and then the replacement of the replacement goes down and we're not talking about you know the usual bumps and bruises that you have during the year we're talking about season ending stuff for so many of these guys and it's just it's it's amazing to see that and that's what's really changed this Virginia game more than anything else. I mean, I know a lot of people want to talk about coaching and a lot of people want to talk about play calling and all this other stuff. And, you know, whether they're, whether the offensive line is doing its job, when you don't even know two weeks out who's going to be playing at a given position, I'm sorry. It's just a different thing to, to do in terms, of, in terms of coaching that, in terms of game planning that during the week. You got new guys in new places, you know, new faces uh, at, at different positions. It gets really difficult because, and especially up front, it's been difficult because the guys that you expected to have out there at this point in the year really aren't out there, and you're you're having to to improvise and figure out what can we execute during the week instead of worrying about okay, 
you know, these are the things that we do really well. And what can we, what can we tweak off of that to have something ready for them? No, you're trying to figure out what you do well with the, with the new personnel that's out there. So it's, it's just amazing. Greg, Donnie Miles out hurt during that game. We talked earlier in the week, maybe JK Britt will assume that position. Is that still what you're hearing? And how does that really affect the back end? They've lost key upper class players at every position just about all across the team, but mainly on, or a lot on defense. So how does that affect the back end without your senior leader in miles? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a critical aspect. I mean, especially when you say that you've got so many other young guys you're relying on. I mean, miles Doran is a sophomore. KJ sells is a sophomore. Miles Wolfolk is a, is a redshirt freshman, you know, and, and JK Britt is a junior, but he hasn't played a whole lot. So now the, you know, the, the pressure is really on MJ Stewart, not only to be a playmaker, which he is, but to be even more of a leader because Donnie Miles, I mean, he is a textbook football guy. His interviews are fantastic because he doesn't give you a whole lot. He sounds like a coach. You know what he's going to say. Very tough. I mean, he's like the epitome of a football guy. And that's critical to have out there you know, talking to players. And so without that voice, and without Andre Smith, who's got a booming voice, he talks about anything and everything. He's not out there. Um, so losing these guys is just a, a critical component. And I'm curious to see, uh, I mean, you got a guy like Alan Artis. I mean, we know what all he's been through. Uh, he is a veteran guy. He's been around the block. But now all of a sudden, he's got to force into some playing time. You know, he's still in a reserve role. But they're going to need him. And so I think he's a guy that's going to get more reps, and he needs to be able to be a, a, a solid voice back there as well. And while Cole Holcomb has taken over the middle linebacker role and calling out plays, they still use a three-tier system. So you know, the middle linebacker will call out a play, and then you know, it was Donnie making adjustments on the, on the back end, and then you had the defensive linemen all kind of chatting up front. Uh, and so all those things kind of work together. And so it's not just the middle linebacker, but it's different guys on different levels. So all that's just kind of a critical component. And that's, that's before we even get to talking about the X's and O's. And just to put it in perspective, here's the headline that was put out today in the Herald Sun. Duke will officially be without a starting player against Florida State. Hey. Seriously, that, that just came up. That just came up on my computer. Duke will officially be without a starting player against Florida State. Well, looks like the in, in the, the first paragraph, as Duke looks to end a two-game winning streak and beat Florida State for the first time ever on Saturday, the Blue Devils will do so without a starter. Tough line. First, <laughs> oh that's first, first world problems there. Jason, how tough is it? <laughs> how tough is it for a football team to lose the vocal leaders on the field. Now they always talk about uh, so-and-so's hurt, but he's really trying to, to, you know, do work on the sidelines to keep the guy engaged on the field. When you've lost all your vocal leaders, how tough is that? And, and give me some real way we can understand it. I mean, cause I don't necessarily think people, understand that you lose a guy that not only is a senior not only is a, a leader but they're vocal leaders getting guys in the right place we've seen the issues that this team has they're down one more give me that difficulty it's really hard to quantify 
and, and hard to put in words for, for an audience to how big of a difference it is when you lose the vocal leadership for a unit uh, and, and the emotional leadership out on the field. I mean, we've, anybody, whether you've played sports or not, has been in some sort of team environment, whether it's a group project of some sort or something at work where at some point you have to have leadership that's actually involved in, in what's being done for, for, for things to go in the direction that they, that they should. And when those leaders go down, it just, there, there's an adjustment period, first of all, where you have to figure out, you know, who do you, who do you listen to? And you know, I'll, I'll put a, maybe a better way to think about this. Right now on the team that I'm coaching, I have a couple different players who have different strengths. One of the players has not figured out, he hasn't learned the entire playbook and all, you know, whatever, whatever he's, he's got to do on every play. He's not always certain of what he's doing. We've got another guy out there who lines up next to him on every play who makes sure that that guy knows what he's supposed to be doing every time. He may know what he's supposed to be doing 85% of the time, but then there's that 15% where he's not sure. And he looks and the guy says, hey, you got, you got this. And that happens a lot more at every level than people realize. I mean, at the NFL level, it happens less. But at, at, you know, below that, it, it's, it's going on where the experienced guy, the guy who's the vocal leader, the guy who makes the calls, you see these guys communicating out there and you see him yelling. And what it is, is it's this guy saying, hey, we've seen this before. This is, this is, what this, this is what they're, what's coming. Hey, you know, get your split out a little wider or you know, watch the seam or whatever. All that stuff that's happening on the field that helps direct the traffic, those guys go down, and now you don't have that. Now, that one guy who might be a little less certain about what he's supposed to be doing, he doesn't have the guy to make sure that he's in the right spot. And that really, that, that hurts you on the execution side, that hurts you on guys being, being in the right position. And then that's not even considering the emotional benefit of having that guy out there where you know that even if I screw up, even, you know, that I, or even a better way, when I do my job, I know that guy's doing his job. And when I do my job, that guy's going to make sure that we're going to, we're going to go out there and, and take care of business with the next guy. You don't have the same level of confidence. So, I mean, it, even with that, I don't feel like I've adequately gotten to how big a deal it is when you lose particularly vocal upper-class leaders on the team. These upperclassmen, they matter so much because they're reliable. Other players look to them to set the tempo, to set the tone, to set the attitude. And they're the guys that make sure that everybody's in the right spot. It's just, it, it changes everything. Greg, on the offensive side, Matt Collins goes out last year and it, you know, we know what he provided in actual play, but he was also a talker. Austin Pro goes out this year and they've kind of really gone into tanks since that. Chaz Surratt doesn't appear to be that really loud vocal guy. Maybe it's his youth. Your take on how it's affecting the offense, just from that perspective, just on the field leadership. Well, I think the easiest way to to answer that is to say that when you ask the coaches who the leader is on the offensive side of the ball, they point out Cam Dillard. I mean, this is a guy that wasn't on campus 12 months ago. So, it's un- unbelievable. So credit him for for doing a good job, you know, assimilating and uh, kind of working into the the trust factor with everybody. But 
I mean, Chaz, he is somewhat quiet. I mean, he's not a Marquise Williams, Bren Renner type kid who's just, you know, as soon as he steps foot on campus, he's boisterous. Uh, and Larry Fedora has said, you know, he, he's still trying to figure out what he's supposed to do. And it's hard to be a team leader or a leader in offense or defense. Kind of like Jason's saying, if, if you're still working on your skill set and what your job is, because at some point to be a leader, you've got to be able to say, hey, you're not doing your job. But it's hard to say you're not doing your job if you don't even know what your own job is. <laughs> and, and, and actually, I got one of my players that actually was saying that very thing the other day where he was, he was complaining about something. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm working with wide receivers right now, primarily. And one of my guys was like, man, every time I go out there, I'm getting asked, like, what do, what do I, you know, what, hey, what do I need to do? What do I need? What am I supposed to do here? And he's like, I'm just try, like, I'm out there trying to make sure I'm doing my job right. It's exactly what you were just talking about, Greg. <laughs> and that, when you, like I said, with the other guy that we've got, who's a senior, who's a, who's a really bright guy, he knows what he's got to do we don't generally have to worry about him ever missing assignments when he does miss an assignment. I'm extra hard on him. Cause it's like, man, when you miss an assignment, we're really in trouble, but he does, he, he's making sure he helps direct, direct traffic. He's helping the quarterback direct traffic with a couple of the other guys who aren't always certain. And you got to have those guys because not everybody's going to remember in the heat of the moment, exactly what they're supposed to do. And you got to have the guys to be the coach on the field. You just do. It's the point guard on the, on, the, on, the, on the basketball court. Look what happens to a basketball team if they've got a quality point guard, the primary ball handler, the guy through whom the offense runs, and that guy goes down. It changes everything. And that's what these leaders are for an offense or a defense when those guys go down. The struggle is real for North Carolina. When we come back from break, Greg and I will dig into Jason a little bit about just how Carolina is going to come out and have a chance to win this game against Virginia. We'll be right back. <laughs> We're back, and Jason, North Carolina has struggled on offense. Um, Virginia is much better than people expected, or at least has a better record. So tell me how this North Carolina offense that we've talked about in their struggles, how they get it done Saturday against the Virginia team that's trending upward. Well, first things first, I would suggest getting guys healthy, but in the absence of uh, a faith-healing situation they're going to have to find ways to move the football against the Virginia defense that's been pretty good you look at Virginia's defense against Duke gave up 3.45 yards per play that's shutting it down right there to put it in perspective Duke averaged 5.8 yards per play against North Carolina two weeks earlier so they gave up about you know just just a little bit over half under two-thirds of what uh, North Carolina gave up against Duke. That tells you a little bit about what, what they've got on defense. They're going to be aggressive. They've got some quality players up front. I think their safety, Quinn Blanding, is, uh, is a guy that's one of the better uh, safeties in, in the ACC. He's a former five-star guy. I mean, they've still got a couple of those guys around. Defensively, they're awfully good. And, you know, Mendenhall teams are going to be very good defensively. They're, they're going to be very disciplined. They're not going to give you anything. You're going to have to earn whatever you're going to get defensively against them. And again, that's what they did against Boise State. Boise State's a quality team. They gave up under five yards of play to Boise State and 30 rushing yards to Boise State. So the first thing is trying to find ways to manufacture some offense against that team. And I think that's going to have to start with the 11-man running game. You're going to have to get Surratt on the edge some against them. 
And I think they're going to have to get a couple big plays in the passing game from Ratliff Williams. I think at this point, the way the offense is going is unless Ratliff Williams has given you a couple big plays a game, you're not getting a whole lot of big plays. He's the one guy that's been able to produce him. So they've got to find ways to get him matched up in advantageous situations and get him on some vertical routes and play action to create some stuff downfield. That's the first thing. Now, defensively, I've not been impressed by Virginia's offense. They're averaging 5.32 yards per play. Just again, looking, looking that up. And they only average four, three, 3.8 yards per play against Duke. Again, not very good. You know, North Carolina averaged five yards per play just under against Duke. So it's almost inverted there or, uh, in terms of how much better Carolina's offense was against Duke than Virginia's. And Virginia has turned the football over some too. So to me, what you've got to do with Virginia, they haven't run the football all that well this year. I think you've got to make them one-dimensional. You've got to find ways to limit what they can do in terms of the running game to force Bankert to beat you, that, that quarterback. And he's played well this year, 13 touchdowns, three picks. He's been good, but I think if you can make them one-dimensional, if you can force him to try to beat you over the top and, and keep some safety help there, you can stay in this game. You want to make them execute. You want to make them have to run the football. And and this is going to, if Carolina is going to win this game, it's going to have to be a low scoring game, something in the maybe low 20s and win close. And that's where you slow, maybe slow the pace down on offense a little bit and, and help the defense out a little bit. I think they're going to have to, I think they're just going to have to take that approach. I don't see any reason why this game shouldn't be close if Carolina doesn't turn it over. I mean, Duke got beat because they turned it over against Virginia. If Carolina doesn't turn it over, they'll be in this game and they'll have a good chance to win. But they're going to have to find ways to manufacture a couple big plays to get the quarterback involved in the running game a little bit and then be able to keep Virginia from being multidimensional on offense, force them to be one-dimensional and, and don't let them get any big plays in the passing game. And I think, I think this game stays close. Jason, let's, let's do a deep dive on the offensive stats for a second. North Carolina, uh, Larry Fedora, he targets converting 48% of his third downs every year. That's his aim. And for the most part, while his teams don't hit that high mark, they're typically in the low 40s. North Carolina's converting less than 30% this year. That doesn't match up well with Virginia, who ranks 11th nationally. They're holding opponents to 27% on third down. The easy answer, as we've talked about before, is, well, don't get into third and longs. And as an <laughs> example for that, in North Carolina's last three games, Tar Heels are one of 15 on third and nine and longer. That should surprise no one. And that's tough for good offenses to, to do. But I think what's really troubling is in those same three games, on third and four and less, North Carolina has converted six out of 20 times. That to me is, is the bigger issue than maybe the third and long. What is the key for this team to be more productive? In third and short situations, we're not talking about being behind the chains. We're just talking about in normal down and distance, and they're failing. Yeah. What those stats tell me is that you've got a team that's that's struggling a little bit on the offensive line and struggling a little bit at, uh, at the quarterback and receiver positions. When you're struggling in both of those spots, that gets hard. You know, you, you've had the injuries at the receiver position that have dramatically impacted what you can do, particularly in, in the guys that are reliable on third down. I mean, 
coming into the season, if I told you, okay, it's third and nine, and you've got it, you've got to get a, you've got to make a play, you've got to complete a pass. Who are you throwing to? I know who I'm throwing to. I'm probably throwing to Austin Prohl. Well, he's gone. Okay, well, if he's gone, who am I throwing to? I'm, I'm, th- I'm probably throwing to Thomas Jackson. Oh, <laughs> he's gone too. And you can go down the list like this. So the guys that you would depend upon to be those third down guys that definitely are going to get a lot of space, get open, and make it easy for the quarterback, those guys, those guys are out. And then you look and you say, well, at least you know, we, can, we can get it done in you know, third and short. Well, third and short oftentimes depends on being able to win up front. And if you're not winning up front, then you still have to be able to basically do the same stuff that you would be doing on third and long, which is getting a guy maybe in the slot, maybe sometimes from outside, but mostly in the slot where you can match up and create some space and complete a pass. And they've been able to do neither. So to me, what you've got to, what you've got to be able to figure out, and, and the effort has to be during the week, you have to say, okay, we're going to be this kind of team. And you have to figure out what kind of strengths you're going to develop and play to what do, we, what do we have left that we think we can do on, say, third and five or less? And we're going to rep the heck out of those three or four things, and it may be some possession passing type things. It may be that we're just going to figure out that we'll, we'll run some uh, various uh, run concepts and just hope to hit some of those. But I think generally third and four or more, you're still going to be throwing. But you have to find the two or three concepts that your, com- your quarterback's comfortable reading and comfortable throwing and get to where you can build off of that. And that's got to be the emphasis. And then once you're under, say, third and three, you got to figure out, okay, does that mean maybe we include some jet sweep series? Does that mean we, you know, do more with the with the 11 man running game, getting the quarterback on the edge? I mean, what is it that we can do to compensate for not having the ability to blow a team off the ball? And you just try to keep reaching for that stuff and eventually find something that's going to work, whether that's, you know, maybe we go to bunch set, maybe we, you know, some unbalanced stuff and try to trick teams a little bit by alignment and find ways to create matchups that are advantageous to us with the personnel we have left. That's the sort of thing I'm doing as a coach. And it is just, it's not easy when the personnel that you were preparing on having all off season, all the work that you did going all the way back to February on this stuff is now junk because you, you don't have the guys you were counting on to be in those spots or their backups in some cases. So that's what you wind up doing. You're doing a little bit of uh, experimental stuff to try to figure out what can we do that is actually going to be something we can execute on a regular basis. How can we play pitch and catch that's going to be comfortable for our quarterback? It's that stuff. I think the stat, Greg, that you mentioned there, the the third and short or relatively short, and they've just been awful on is just probably is the tail of the season period no matter who's out there but jason to your point it's tough when you look to your left and your right as a quarterback and there's somebody different every week guys we've reached a portion of the show where y'all are forced to make a prediction jason i'm gonna start with you carolina greg what'd you say they're giving three and a half or four now or virginia's given four up to four jason your take on how this game plays out in a predicted score I think this is going to be another pretty close game down the stretch. Uh, I do think this is going to be a low-scoring game and a game that, that Carolina has every chance to win in the fourth quarter. I think both teams are going to have a hard time scoring in this one. At the end of the day, though, 
it's it's hard to pick Carolina to win a game, even at home right now, given the injury situation and given just sort of given the momentum coming into this game, given the way that uh, that Virginia has been playing coming in. I'm a little bit more comfortable with Benkert in terms of being able to make some of those plays at this point than Surratt, who's getting a lot less help from his group of receivers at this point in those areas where they've, you know, you've got guys missing. And I think when it comes to up front, Virginia's going to be a little bit more reliable. So I'm going to go with Virginia to win the game close. I'm going to say something like Virginia 20, North Carolina 17. Greg, you're up. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with any of that. I think for me, I'm going to have to see North Carolina get it done. Uh, we've talked so much about how this team has just struggled in the fourth quarter of games. We know that the defense gets gassed. Virginia, well, they don't really have a potent offense. They are snapping the ball 77 times a game. That's top 25 nationally. I think this is the type of game where that's going to add up uh, as we get in the fourth quarter. And I think that the defense is going to be a little bit too much for, for North Carolina's offense to do much with. And so I've got Virginia winning this one, uh, 21-17. <laughs> you guys what, are something What did you say, Staples? Did you say 20-17. 20-17. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's kind of like the kid that cheats on the test but changes one answer. No, 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 no. This is, it's just the price is right. <laughs> he's, he's gone he's gone up on me by one point and yeah, hopefully right. hopefully he winds up going over here well i'll have my prediction on the chl tailgate show uh, when ross martin and i give our predictions live on the air guys appreciate you joining me and everybody's been busy i'm glad we got this show done we'll talk again soon thanks yep thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of unc sports your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.